following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Guys, last week uh, I shared a story. A number of you guys, uh, I want to catch you up on that. Uh, 20 plus years ago, I went to St. Louis, went to a prayer conference, and at that prayer conference, I was part of the ministry team, very similar to what we have here, where sometimes people come forward for prayer. I went forward to uh, pray for people that were there. There were some 750 people at the conference, something like that, people from all over the nation, all over the world, actually, and there were 15 or 20 of us that were on the prayer team, and so we would pray for people during breaks, during uh, lunch, things like that. The first day, a woman came up to me named Carol. She was from Michigan, and out of that, I didn't hear what I didn't hear anything to pray for. Literally, Lord, what do you want to say to her? And the only thing I really felt like God said was, "Bless her, and invite her to pray to go to somebody else." So I was standing there, if you will, not prepared. Day two comes around, and I said, "Lord, I." I really need you to hear, I, I need to hear your voice to pray over these people. And the second day, Carol comes back. The same woman comes back. I was in shock just that she was coming back. And God specifically spoke to me for her. She said, Carol, when you were nine, did your dad call you this? And when you were 11, did your mom call you this? And they were the kind of pet names that only inside a family would know. And she crumpled to the ground crying because she knew God was with her. Fast forward, and uh, Jacob was here last week. Uh, anyway, he said, Steve, tell the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that over the rest of that Thursday and the rest of the Friday of the conference, I saw all these women that came up to me and they had badges from Michigan. Well, Carol was from Michigan. There were 27 women from Michigan, and they all came to be prayed for, and I prayed for all 27 of them. The point is, there is a point when we need to listen to God, and it changes lives. It doesn't just change others' lives. It changes our lives, too. So we're going to continue the road trip today on walking with God, uh, everybody have, or hopefully most people have, John Eldridge's book, Walking with God. Uh, you, Jim, would you, you would you hand up, hold uh, up a book there? We have uh, a number of extra books. We have two. We have two. We have two left. Okay. So anyone need it? And so we'll, I want we'll to uh, want to start out with prayer, and then I want to jump into uh, what we're going to do. We're we're going into uh, what Eldridge calls the chapter summer. We, last week, we went through introduction and prelude. This week, we're heading into summer, just like it looks like outside right now. Father, we ask that you'd speak to us. We thank you that you will. And Lord, we pray that we would listen to you. Lord, tune my ear to hear your voice and your spirit today. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, as we go into this chapter here, I want to... Uh, paint a picture for a second. If uh, you were invited 
this weekend or on a clear next week, said, each one of you guys, you're invited to Pappas Steakhouse. It's on uh, Eric. Not, yeah. <laughs> Not on me. It's on Eric. I, I, I don't like the story already, Steve. Thanks. Exactly. I was going to say me, but I thought, no, Eric. <laughs> it's on Eric. I, if anybody's, how many of you guys have been there? Anybody been to Papa's Steakhouse before? A few. Okay. Well, let's just paint the picture. It is some of the best steak in all of Houston. The sides, the dessert, the appetizers, the, everything. It's spectacular. If you're like me, I begin thinking about it ahead of time. If I know I'm going to go to a great restaurant, I'm going to get hungry ahead of time. I'm not waiting until I show up at 6.30. I already know I'm going to be chomping. I mean, thank you. Get out of here. That's a little bit like what we're going to do today in this, this first part to the summer. Uh, we're not doing good cuts of steak. We're not doing, doing choice cuts of steak. We're doing prime steak today. And there's a lot of meat in this chapter that Eldridge has for us. So we're going to, Eric and I together, we're not going to cover the entire book. We're going to cover special places in the book that speaks to us, and we believe it would hopefully speak to you guys too. All right. As he opens this book, go ahead. Page 25. He, Jesus, calls his own sheep by name. Who's he talking to about there? What's that? That's, that's me, isn't it? I'm, I'm one of the sheep. And leads them out. He goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. It's that picture of that, the group of sheep and the shepherd going out before him. And when the shepherd whistles, they know where to go. It's like the mom that takes her son to the grocery store and she can hear the voice of, the, of Junior three or four aisles away as he starts to ravage through the bluebell. <laughs> Next. And he continues here. Not just believers, guys. This is the place that's really, really important. God's not looking for us just to be believers in Christ, is he? That, that would be like going to Golden Corral. That would be an entry level. What we're talking about is we're talking about close intimates, not just casual friends. The Bible invites us to an intimacy with God that will lead us to the life we are meant to live if we follow him. So God is stepping out. Jesus is saying, not just believers, but followers come with me. And he's going to lead us out. This is our, our first table time. We're going to have three table times today. So uh, this is a time to circle up around your table. And let's ask this question together among you guys. What would it be like to yield to Christ in the details of our lives? Let's take three or four minutes here and let's... Let's really wrestle on this question. What would it be like to yield to Christ in the details of our lives? I heard some lively discussions there. Guys, about uh, a few months ago, I had a, uh, 
I was expecting a call. Really important phone call. It was about a job opportunity. I've been looking for a job for over a year now. So you, 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 you it's sort of important. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the call never came. Now, you know, after a while, you start looking at, or at least I do, I look at my phone. What's wrong with my phone? The problem was, you have the clicker. Um, it wasn't on. It wasn't on. I didn't turn it on. I didn't turn it on. So I was expecting, I had all these expectations of a great phone call from somebody. Uh, they did call, they left a voicemail, but my phone was off. So when it comes to listening to God, uh, first and foremost is, am I listening? And second, is the busyness of our days. I grew up in, uh, anybody know what that is? That's Steve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we, had a, uh, we had a number of hamsters when I was growing up. Uh, my dad built the cages anyway. We had these uh, hamster wheels. Anybody had a hamster growing up and a hamster wheel? It, it, it's an amazing thing when you watch these little critters thinking, hey, I'm going to give you food, and I'm going to give you a drink, and they're just churning on that thing. I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch. Anyway, does that really resemble the hamster, or does it more resemble me? Am I focused? If somebody came alongside you and, and shadowed you for the day, would they say, wow, that guy, he's listening to the Lord, he's acting, he's listening, he's acting, he's following or is it just, uh, you know, is it like a spinning top or a hamster going on the wheel? So am I focused? So first is, am I listening? Second is, am I focused? I think, a, like I was sharing about the uh, time in at the prayer conference 20 plus years ago, I, I, I learned that listening to God was really, it was this step, very small. It was, Lord, I want to listen to you and I'm focusing right now. And so I, I recognized, and John Eldridge points it out in this book, and I've heard it from others, that you start asking God small questions. Very similar to maybe if you're dating your, dating your wife-to-be, you're, you're not going to ask her every possible question. You're going to build the relationship one trust level at a time. And it's similar to that in the questions with God. Start small, things that are manageable. Um, 20 years ago, I went to this conference that opened the door for me to say, you know what, uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer, I'm a faithful believer, I walk with, I, I read the Bible, I go to church, I, I do all the things that I know to do. But this opened a new dynamic of, hold it, are you telling me, God, that you can listen, that you can direct my day today? So what happened was, and this was the, in the good old days of... Uh, voicemail or answering machines. Uh, so I would start asking God, Lord, is there anyone that you want me to call and pray for? This was landline city these days. So I would call some of these people that I was in Bible study with. I was the director of a class. And so even if they didn't pick up, I'd leave a, I would leave a message on the voicemail. 
Guys, I can't tell you the number of times. The next time I saw that person, they would say, you know, Steve, how did you know to call and pray for me at that time? Your timing was perfect. It was amazing. Um, one of our speakers during the spring semester, Kyle Van, I believe he led it off. He was an executive at energy company, Coke Energy. Anyway, I, I got to know Kyle pretty well, and I just had this sense early on a Tuesday morning to call and, and pray for him. So I called his voice, uh, called his uh, office line about 7.15 in the morning, left a prayer. And he tells me two days later, Steve, did, did, did I tell you that I was having a board meeting on that day? Said, no, Kyle, you didn't. He said, what you said on your prayer fit right into the fears that I had about the board meeting that day. So don't underestimate what God can do if I just say, Lord, what is it you want to say to me today on behalf of someone else? This is uh, this morning, yesterday morning. I'll do this tomorrow. Lord, is there anything that I'm worried about that you want me to handle, hand off to you? If Philippians 4 says, do not worry about anything, but in prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. The worries of life are cancer. True? The worries of life are cancer in our hearts. You're not going to be hearing God regularly if you are so worried or so wrapped up in something else. And so I want to clear the deck. Lord, is there any? So I have a handful of worries that are regular in my life, probably like you guys do. These things tend to creep in, and they need to be offloaded. Um, seven, eight years ago, we had a guest speaker here when Dr. Rick Rigsby. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Anyway, Dr. Rigsby, Aggie big Aggie guy, communications professor, former uh, uh, TV reporter out in the Bay Area, big booming voice. And he spoke, he said, every morning I get on my knees, Father, would you speak to me today? And at the end of the day, he said, as he heads to bed, Lord, is there anything on your heart today? It's an open dialogue. The phone is on. He listens to God throughout the day or, or attempts to. And I've done that. Lord, anything on your mind today, Lord? What would that be like if you asked your wives that? Your friends? If you ask Lauren, David, honey, what's on your mind today? I'm going to guess, asking Marlon, Marlon, is there anything on your mind today? Meredith, if there's anything, I'm guessing you're going to get an answer. And you know, God will give you an answer too. Sometimes, Steve, don't worry. You're afraid. I'm with you. He'll just reinforce that. Last summer, uh, I was staying right here. Eric and I were leading uh, the Father by God book by John Eldridge. And many of you guys knew that I had surgery last summer. And you guys, some of you guys were just so encouraging. You prayed for me. 
you loved on me. Anyway, it was uh, a tumor that the doctor didn't know ahead of time what it was. He didn't know. And so he was going in for a biopsy. Well, what do you hear when you hear the word biopsy? So general anesthetic at Memorial Hermann Southwest on a Thursday morning, right after this, I was here, cried my brains out, and I went to surgery right after this. You guys laid hands and prayed on me, prayed for me. Three or four days before. This is jumping from small God to you need God to speak to you about the things of life that are really important. But you have to remember, I've been listening or trying to tune my ears to God for the last 20 years. Pretty faithfully. And over the last five years, very regularly. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? Lord, is there any, any, anything you want to say to me right now? So before my surgery, I asked the Lord, Lord, is this tumor going to be cancerous? Steve? No, Steve, it's not cancerous. Still afraid, but not terrified. And if you guys had come close last <clears throat> summer, I didn't know. For 45 days, the doctor was saying, well, I'm not sure what it is. It looks serious. Over and over and over. So it was sort of amping up. That's when we need to hear what God has to say. So start small and build your endurance just like a runner, just like what comes to Nick in his, his weight training. You didn't start lifting what you lift now. Did you? you started smaller. Or maybe at the womb, you started with 350 pounds. I didn't. You build it up, endurance as you go. And then when you have a crisis like I did last summer and you guys came around me, I was prepared. So you never know, guys, when you're prepared. But you need to be prepared to listen to God in the, in the details of life that can literally give you a stranglehold. If, if, you don't, if you're not prepared, that almost laid me out completely. I was like a spinning top. Guys, I want to... Uh, sh John Eldridge mentions it in the book, a number of things that are very, very helpful to get down the road of listening to God regularly. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add in some flavor to what Rick Rigsby said seven, eight years ago, and also some things that I've learned over the, in the trenches over the last 20 years. I think above and beyond, this is your daddy who loves you. God, would you speak to me today? And as a sign of honor and respect in my own uh, forgetfulness, I take, a, I take a journal with me. If God's going to speak to me, I'm going to write it down. It's worth writing it down. Uh, similar to what we talked about just a minute, offload any worries. So it would look like, Lord, is there anything that separates me from hearing you today? That could be a worry. could be a distraction. Hey, when you, when you go into this land, let me just give you encouragement. When you go into this land, I, I, I was sharing this with Eric earlier this week. Man, I look forward to hearing the ice dump in the ice machine. Sometimes the distractions of life just overtake you. 
because you know you're doing business. You're, you're wanting to hear what God has to say to you. So every distraction, the trash man coming, it will come front and center for you. And, and also, Lord, any sins that separate. No, see, your sins are fine. Ask God any questions important to you. What's on your mind right now? Anything that you have before you today? Lord, what do you think? I, I, I met a guy on uh, Tuesday for breakfast. Uh, Jim's been married four years now. Uh, Eric and I know him well. He does the thing. Lord, what is it you want me to give my wife for her birthday and for her Christmas present? Jim's words, and we've never, Jim and I have never talked about this. He said, man, my batting average is good, baby. God knows what his wife needs, so I need help. I need help. I'm going to steal that one right yeah. there. <laughs> Ask God about details like that. Okay, and, and there are a lot of times. Sometimes it's a real clear thought. Steve, lust. Lord, I give you my lust right now. Steve, you know that pornography? Set that aside now. I'm better. That anger that you have, set that aside. There's sometimes, Lord, and we're going to go through it in just a second. I just don't get a sense of clearness. Lord, what about that vacation in New Mexico in late May? Lord, would you have me to go on that? Yeah, this is a great time. Or nothing. No sense of direction at all. So I'll ask again. Lord, I need some direction here. It's very much like your little kids. How many times if, if, if Johnny needs a drink of water and he can't reach the dispenser, how many times is he going to ask? He's probably going to ask more than once. He's not going to ask once and sit down and be quiet. He's going to ask. Well, what did Jesus say to the people? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Sometimes you need to knock a little bit louder because it focuses you. God's already doing the same, but it focuses you. Ask again. And then if unsure of God's answer, Lord, I, I want to be faithful. Lord, you know my financial situation right now. Lord, is there a number that you want me to give to the church, uh, to, to this ministry? How much, Lord? You, I sort, Lord, I sort of want to give $100. Steve, I want you to give 300. I don't, I don't want to give 300. Lord, I don't want to give nothing or, or 100. So I may wrestle it down with God a little bit. And as, Lord, if I give 300, what about that? That's what I want you to give. So it's clarifying it before the Lord. Very similar to a friend that you have, a friend or a very an intimate, a lover that, that, you just need to wrestle down some situations. Go ahead. All right, guys. We're going to do that right now. Around your tables. Let's take time to listen to God now. And if you would, let's go, let's back up the slide. And we're going to use a few minutes here to do just like we just talked about right here. So begin thinking about a question that you have that you need direction from God right now, or just an open-ended, Lord, what do you think?
So we're going to take a handful of minutes here. You want to go through these steps on your own, separately? But let's go ahead and go through that right now. It's going to be a little awkward. We're not, no hocus pocus. We're just doing these five, and we'll come back in a few minutes. Lord, thank you that you do speak to us. Lord, thank you that this is like a training wheels. We all need to learn how to do something that maybe we haven't done before. And Lord, you can continue to instruct us and encourage us and take us there. Say thank you for it, Lord. Amen. As we said last week, you know, us learning to walk with God and hear from God is something that takes, if you all remember, it takes time and practice. It takes focus. And I just want to, there are times that you will not want to ask God, God, what, what do you want to say to me today? God, what do you have for me this morning? Lord, is there something in my life? You won't want to go there. In fact, it's most often when the circumstances of our life don't look the way we thought they'd look, that if it's raining in my life, it must be because, frankly, God is sitting back with his arms crossed, rolling his eyes, huffing, saying, you're a loser. I can't believe you're still screwing up. Like, have y'all, do you know what I'm saying? That, that that's there. I, I've got four kids. My number three, Kate, I've got three daughters and a son. Kate's my number three. Beautiful girl, really gifted, really smart. But one of her gifts early in life was she could break anything. All my kids, now my dad had no mom, no dad that he knew, grew up in the Depression. You do not throw anything away and you don't break stuff. Because he knew, I don't have any money, so if I, if my, if I, if I get mad and I break something, lights out, you know, I, I've just lost it for the rest of my life. I mean, that's how, and he raised me, right? So that's how I'm wired. So I don't like seeing things get broken. In fact, I would just say I overreact to that. And so early on, as Kate was finding ways to disassemble and destroy things of great value and worth to me, um, like a favorite pair of sunglasses that I'd had for over 20 years. In an instant, she like wipes them out, and I'm watching it, and I flip out. Shamefully flip out. So a few years ago, and, and usually a few times a week at mealtimes, she's going to allow either the food or the beverage to baptize the table and the floor. And early on, I didn't handle that well either, and God put my wife in my life to tell me to chill out. But a few years ago, I noticed that I was chilled out. I was totally okay with it. All I really wanted to do is to help her clean that up, put my arms around and tell her, Kate, you're beautiful. I love you. It's all right. It's just milk. Don't worry about it. It's great. But she wouldn't let me get anywhere near her. She couldn't hear one word from me. She brought self-judgment, shame, and anger and couldn't relate to her father in that window. And I feel like that's how we are sometimes with God as well, that we know our mistakes. And he confronted it maybe in our life, but somehow we feel like he's not for us. He doesn't have good pleasure in us. He doesn't smile upon us. And I want you to hear this quote from Eldridge from page 29, it says, things may not unfold the way you think they will when you're following God. Remember, he's after both your transformation and 
your joy. The one hangs upon the other. And he goes on further and he says, there are forces driving the way we live. And think about Kate. There are forces driving the way she responded at the table when she spilled the milk, right? Reasons and compulsions written deep in my soul, they come from unbelief, and we'll talk about what that might be, from some deep fear. God is not just after behavior modification, as in, hey, just stop looking at porn, just stop being angry, just chill out around the house, just serve your wife, just spend time with me. He's not just after your behavior modification, but real and deep and lasting change. That statement can change our life in there. The next phrase he has is, and that brings me to another assumption that we must hold if we would walk with God. True holiness requires the healing of our souls. Whole and holy, the two go hand in hand. And he goes on and talks about the heart of Jesus, that he yearned for the people to turn back to him so that he could heal them. I yearned for Kate to get up off of the floor in anger and she's teared up because she blew it again and I yearn for her to get up off the floor and let me do it with her. But because of the years of me being an overreactive, hyper-controlling, more focused on stewardship of the physical things we have over the heart of my daughter... And I don't believe we're damned as a family because I blew it as a dad for several years, by the way. So if you're a dad and you feel like, hey, man, I got that. I blew that too. I'm telling you, no. I'm asking God, you heal her heart in ways that only you can heal her heart. You heal our relationship in ways that only you can heal these relationships because I know that you're wanting to restore the things that the enemy sought to destroy. And I, here's, a, here's a statement, I want you to write it down. God is radically committed to your transformation, restoration, and joy. There is no one else more committed to your transformation, restoration, and joy. No one. If you're thinking someone else is and God isn't, then you're looking at the wrong God. And the enemy, we're getting ready to see what Eldridge says about that, the enemy wants us to think the opposite of that. Is that true? Man. So I want to give you two things Paul said in a book. The theme of the book is joy. So if God's about our transformation, restoration, and joy, Paul is shackled up to a Roman guard. He's in prison, and he writes a letter to the church in Philippi. And the theme of this book is joy, ironically enough. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, I'm sure of this, that he, and who's the he? Jesus, that he who started a good work in you will do what? Complete it, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Does Paul seem like he wavers in this? Or does he seem confident? Is this a certainty for Paul? He's banking on this. He's banking on this. Next chapter, 
he doesn't just think God's working outside of us, behavior modification, right? He says this, for it is God who's working in who? Us, you, me. He's working in Eric, the hyper-controlling, freakish father, the man who wrestles with lust, the guy that can be greedy. He's working in Eric. He's working in you. He's working in us. To do what? To conform externally to a set of behavioral things that are judged respectable. No. <laughs> to transform us. To desire. To change my heart. To change my thoughts. To change my passion. So that I would work out God's purposes. And how does Paul describe God's purposes here? Good. Good. And that's just not a moral category. Satisfactory and beyond. I'm not just making it. I'm loving life. It's, it's good. And so that brings us to this idea. What's a test to let us know about our heart? A good test is when you see the cross of Christ, what do you think it says? There was a season in my life that when I saw that, I wanted to hang my head and say, I suck. I'm horrible. I've blown it. I look at the cross and I know it's shame. I know I've done something awful. Today I see it as a declaration of my father who made me that says, Eric, there is nothing you have done that I will not tear apart and get into your life and restore you can't break life enough. I'm committed to you this much. Nothing will stop me. Your marriage will make it. You and Kate will walk it out. You'll walk her down the aisle. It won't be this awkward moment. You'll have joy in your heart. You blew it. I'll fix it. That is the power of the cross. But if we look at the cross and we feel like that's our judgment, that's our shame, that's I'm horrible, you might be on the wrong side of the cross. That salvation is the moment that it's no longer about our judgment. Salvation is the moment. It's about our restoration, and it's about our joy. And to go one step further, the Gospel of John, you can read books of the Bible, and we'll have a lens, and we've been like, I mean, how many of y'all have read through the Gospel of John before? Raise your hand. And not that it's not a, you know, God's not going to love you more if you did or didn't. I get it. I have been through the New Testament, like the first two years of my salvation, I read through the New Testament 40 times. I was this really weird junior, senior guy that I couldn't get enough. I had missed it. I had missed the gospel. I grew up in a home. We went to church, and I had missed it. But the funny thing is, you could read it 40 times, and you can still miss things in the Bible. And sometimes you need to put different lenses on when you read it, and you need to ask different questions because you want to hear from God. And Eldridge puts on a set of lenses here in the Gospel of John that I have never put on before. And, I, and you might maybe have seen it all before, and you read Eldridge, and you're like, absolutely, man, I, I, I read it the exact same way. That's exactly what I see every time I read it. It just oh, leaps off the pages at me. But I was reading through this first, John 15, 11. I have spoken these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. How much joy do you think Jesus has? 
Oh, man, I don't think he's kicking the can down the street today with his head hung low. He said, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Get your head around that. It just blew my mind. And then John 16, 24, until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Why? Why? So that your joy may be complete. And again, John 17, 13, this is the high priestly prayer. Now, I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. You see a pattern here? His joy, and what's the little verb thing or adjective? I don't even know what it is. Hey, Wade, you're young enough. You know what these things are. There's a word associated with joy in every one of these verses. What is it? What? God's joy, but completed. It's possible to have a taste of joy that doesn't come to fullness, right? Like if you've grown crops, if you've ever planted a plant, it springs up a little bit, and it's possible that it withers out. It doesn't bear any fruit. But there's also this beautiful thing of completed joy. I want to go back into Genesis because I think it goes back to the enemy strategy. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5, it's the temptation in the garden, not Jesus' temptation in the garden. It's the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. And in it, we're introduced to a serpent, right? And the serpent has a hat on. That hat is the hat of an accuser. And there's an accusation that's leveled. And just because of time, I'll just... So it's leveled against God, not Adam and not Eve. When I think of Satan as the accuser, I think it's me, right? How many of y'all would agree to that? Hey, Satan's the accuser. You, you reject that. That's not from God. Satan's the accuser. He's accusing you. I'm like, the first person he accused is God Almighty. Listen, he says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you'll die. No, you're not going to die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. You'll know good. You'll know evil. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want your joy. Isn't he impugning the character of God here? Isn't he accusing the character of God here? And I just believe that that has led, from that time, the enemy has assailed the very heartbeat of God so that this saying, I got it off an atheist website, <laughs> God is a cosmic killjoy who is trying to keep something good from you. God is a cosmic killjoy who's trying to keep something from you. No, we, we heard earlier, he's radically committed to your transformation, restoration, and joy. This, this little pill is a short-term look when I don't get what I want, right? And I pitch a little fit, a 50-year-old man fit, I pitch it. 
well, God, this, nothing's going right right now. God, this is a terrible, because you're against me. Biblically, no. He is committed to his joy being completed in my soul. And how ironic that Satan wants to flip that around. So here, what's that? So here, I began to see how the enemy was first trying to take away all joy from my life, wear me down, then weary and thirsty, I would be quite vulnerable to some counterfeit joy. It would start with mild addictions, fill in the blank here, gentlemen, then build to something worse. Thus, he would destroy all that God has done in and through me. Is God a killjoy or not? How we answer that will either allow us to experience the fullness of restoration with our Father, and we'll walk with Him, and we'll hear from Him, and we'll desire that each and every moment of the day. Or we are going to run and hide and medicate the rest of our lives. And we all have different medications, but it's, it's going to be lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful, boastful pride of life. Those are the big three. For me, it was pornography. For you, it might be something else, right? But we will medicate, and we will run, and we will hide. So this morning, I want to trust God's heart that James tells us, Jesus' brother tells us, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, double-minded people. Double-minded. And so we've got about five minutes let me, let me just say, just for time's sake, two things that Eldridge points out about Scripture, and I wrote them both down there. Number one thing, there is not a single better place to begin our journey of walking with God than in His Word. And number two, we desperately need Him to open up our eyes to reading that in an appropriate way that the Pharisees spent countless hours in the Scriptures and they missed the soul of the Savior. And we can do the very same thing. So it's not a magic book. I read it, I'm changed. It's not. I read it before a holy God who loves me greatly and I ask Him to sift me. I ask Him to mold me. I meditate on a verse or a chapter and I think about it through the day. I have a brother I can talk to about it. And we try to live that out recklessly. Live it out. Whatever he says, I want to try to trust and obey and do it. Um, we need God to help us understand it. The Bible's meant to be read in fellowship with God. And so I went a little, I went a little long. We got a little late start, to be quite honest. And, and I probably needed to abbreviate some of that. But... Um, these are three questions. Um, I added one. Steve and I had chosen them, and then last night I felt like this first question, how do you feel about the idea that God desires your joy? Because I'll be honest, that challenges me. I struggle sometimes to believe that deep, deep, deep in my heart. I say it, I really want to just unreservedly believe it in my heart. And I'm in that journey right now, just bringing that before Him and confessing that to Him that I'm not trusting you enough right now and I do love you, Lord. And you've shown me so many times how faithful you are. And Lord, just, just help me hear you whisper, I want my joy to be completed in you. 
because sometimes I feel like it's not that way. But I know that keeps me from the Father, right? So take, take the remaining few minutes um, at the table there. Grab any of those questions that you want. Share what you're comfortable sharing. We are a chosen generation. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day. Your heart's in love, the healer set you free.